Vegas State of Combat. Wow, UFC 239 coming in hot and heavy. The Brian Campbell, your boy. It's instant analysis time from my Las Vegas hotel room. Brandon Wise next to me and B-dubs. Wow, after an international fight week that was crazy memorable. I hope the listeners out there followed our coverage leading up to it. UFC 239 provided so many oh crap moments. We are less than an hour removed from the main event in which we almost had a different kind of oh crap moment. As we sit here right now, ready to peel that onion, maybe cry a little bit. Wonder, speculate if Ben Askren is still alive. Can I get a macro reaction from you and this MMA instant analysis? To what the heck we just saw, brother. We had these vibes like all week long that this might give us one of those special moments. Like, this is International Fight Week. This is what this card is supposed to be, right? It's supposed to be the best of the best. And I messaged you just before the start of the main card. The prelims were pretty good. They gave us a couple of good little little things to, to whet the appetite, you know? But main card starts, I was like, BC, I think we're going to get something special here. I don't know what it's going to be but I think we're going to get something special. And boy, oh boy, did we get four of them out of five from the main card. Wow. I mean, anyone that wants to uh, sit here and say anything bad about the John Jones-Tiago Santos main event, we're going to break it down uh, in a second. But that was high drama throughout. It was intense. You felt like anything could happen at any time. And when you package that with that three-fight stretch in the middle of the main card, our good buddy Todd Grisham tweeted out, Heading into that main event, he's like, we're one great fight away from, from maybe seeing the greatest card in MMA history. And while that's just crazy hyperbole, dude, it's for the July week. We spent this whole week making really bad firework analogies about what we hope to see in the cage. We saw a lot of crazy, holy-ish moments. Bang, bang, bang. I mean, can you got any cigarettes on you? Can we have a moment <laughs> here where we can just sit back and be like... What the hell happened? You and I were lucky enough to be in the building November of, what, 2017 yep. for UFC 217 MSG. And that was a similar moment when you consider you want to get knocked out by Rose, followed by Cody getting knocked out by TJ, followed by the drama of GSP winning a second world title in his comeback. Look, there's no shortage of big names in what we saw tonight, too. We saw some big stuff. Bang, bang, bang. And it was just a crazy night. It was a crazy week. Our good buddy, Sugar Rashad Evans, went into the Hall of Fame amid an earthquake during his speech. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I will say, though, is that 217 is always going to hold a more special place just because those three fights you mentioned, all three upsets with the title changing hands. The only way that this could have topped that is if somehow Amanda Nunes lost and John Jones lost. But still... Given the results that hey. we got to work with, I mean, come on. <laughs> I, I'm just going to say this. There was that moment, I think, where John Jones uh, landed a flash knockdown. I believe it was on a kick. Maybe in round three. I'm a little I'm a little, uh, <laughs> little off right now. I'm in, My head's in another space right now. But there was a moment when he landed that big strike that I, I think that still would have put us in that category. If you had bang, 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 bang. That's a lot of banging going on right there. Wow, bro. Wow. All right. Let's reset here. Please, uh, hope you enjoyed our content this week. 
on the state of combat. We, we had to come back with an instant analysis with you live from Las Vegas. Please five star review if you love the content that we're doing, the content we're doing with the great Sugar Rashad. I hope he's out there right now just enjoying life. Okay. Cause that brother had, had one hell of a week himself. What an honor to, uh, to be by his side when we interviewed John Jones the other day and they sort of came full circle on my, on their friendship and to, and to see Rashad get that rightful place in the hall. But we're not going to be here all night. Let's get into the meat. But before we peel back that onion and really dig in, let's hear a word from our friends and sponsors. Oh yeah. Dig it. All right, big B-dubs. Let's talk about this main event. John Jones did defend his light heavyweight title against Thiago Santos. The good news for John ties GSP's record for most championship wins. Didn't he pass Anderson Silva with something like his 17th consecutive win? Mm-hmm. I don't know where that no contest against DC plays into that record, but we almost had a crazy O-ish moment for John himself when he comes away with a split decision. In, in the end, what is a weird fight? I scored a three rounds to two for John, like two of the judges had in the 48-47 score. But there's no question in my mind. John Jones fought a weird fight strategically. He left that back door open. He got lucky in Las Vegas. Just as he did, let me remind you, in that one-sided fight against Anthony Smith, where he could have taken a DQ loss and could have lost his title there had Smith decided to go that way after the illegal strike. He could have left tonight without his title in a fight that I think you have to tell me, or, or I'll give you the chance to tell me differently. Visually, if you just scored all five rounds as one one thing, Jones won that fight. Walked through hell at times to get there, but he won that fight. But what the heck was he doing giving Tiago Santos that chance as a wounded animal to hang in there? There was, you mentioned it before, there was some weird high-speed chess going on in there. Where both guys seemed really tentative. They both seemed to want to try and set up counter shots instead of just going for broke with their own combinations. Like, Tiago went for it a couple of times where he just pushed forward and just threw three straight punches or three straight hooks. But John was tentative, and he wanted to be patient. I think we talked about it all week that the way John wins this fight is by dragging Tiago into deep waters, testing that gas tank. He even said it himself. He wasn't sure if Tiago, with all that extra muscle he put on, was going to be able to make it to three. And by the way, Tiago passed that test. He He passed that test strongly. He did, but he also got hurt. And we aren't technically sure when it happened or what actually happened. I think I saw it happen. Now, I had, uh, to kind of full disclosure on where we sat for this, I sat cage side center, front row, media row, ble- you know, hashtag blessed, by the way. Thank <laughs> you. The 11th Island, baby. Uh, you were ab- up above the arena. So, look, any seat you have, even when you're watching at home on TV, there's going to be things you can see better than other spots. There's going to be things that you can see worse. I thought I saw when Tiago Santos went for one of those hard leg kicks early in round two, John Jones checked it, and when Tiago went to land on that foot, something happened. I don't know if what in the in the check he hurt his own leg. I don't know if he landed weird on it, but from that point forward, he started limping, and it got worse and worse as the fight went on. Yeah, and you saw it in the fifth round the most because Tiago could barely put any weight on it for a little while there, and then as soon as John notices it, he's like, oh, this is easy. I don't even have to worry anymore. He can't. He can't come forward with full power because he can't plant properly on that foot. So I mean, he just was falling over on kick attempts. He started just checking that T kick to the quad, trying to push that that knee to the uh, hyperextension, and he did it successfully because at one point Thiago co- collapsed because his knee just gave out. All right, let me say some nice things about John Jones because it's weird. 
this almost goes down as some kind of like loss but a win. Yet the reality is John looked absolutely brilliant at times. There's two things that he showcased immensely in this fight. One is that his mind, post-USADA suspension, he's as efficient. I keep saying it, he's as efficient as ever and smart. His setups, he's doing more with less. It's almost Mayweather-like, something that you would also echo tonight in our private chats. His control of the technical game and the chess game is is brilliant. And that's going to go a long way, by the way, in him being able to hang around and stay as his physical skills diminish. Something I said to him this week, and he said, hey, buddy, I don't know about anything diminishing right now. Number two, he stood in the pocket against arguably his most dangerous challenger in years, and John Jones' chin was championship level. Brando, not a surprise, okay? He's taken bombs from the Machitas, the Rashad Evans, the Alexander Gustafsons, but it was his Confidence level to stalk such a dangerous fighter in Santos, stay in the pocket, absorb the kind of strikes that I'm telling you. I've seen your boy Thor's hammer, or what are we calling him nowadays? Moretta? Maheta. I've seen Maheta send these guys to hell with those strikes. My vantage point that close to the cage will tell you this. Maheta landed some go-home type strikes, and John's beard took it, and he came forward like nobody's business, okay? That's the pluses. Round four when the crowd was booing? No, that's a plus for John. He totally diminished the, the danger, won that round just by kicking from the outside and controlled it. It was smart. Round five is where I go, what the heck are you doing? Santos obviously hurt, can barely stand. Yet it's Santos landing the bigger shots. It's John walking into Santos's strike zone. And John Jones for the fifth consecutive round, Brando, refusing to go for a takedown. I mentioned just a couple minutes ago, this could have been an O-ish moment for John. He could have lost his title by decision. He would have said, oh, I thought I deserved to win. Let's do a rematch and whatever would have happened. But it would have been the first legitimate loss on his record. And he got lucky that it didn't go that way, in my opinion. You see how many people on social media actually scored this fight for Santos. And again... I saw the clean strikes land. I wouldn't be angry at the end of the day because when you don't finish strong, you almost open this up to happen. So I'm going to ask you this question. John's defense in the cage talking to Joe Rogan didn't convince me. Why in the world would John Jones, who did almost the same thing to Gus in December, waited for Gus to tire out, kicked him to break him down, and then one takedown, Beat him down from the back, choke him out, the fight's over. Why did he not do that against Santos, especially in the final two rounds when he couldn't stand? I will say this. I think that John is clever. I think he's getting, like, we've been talking about all week that he's getting a lot smarter. He didn't want to take the risk of something happening. I know that you said you don't really believe what he said in there, but Santos is a black belt, man. He's got legit ground game in jujitsu. He has the skills to put something together if the opportunity's there. So in John's mind... So you're mind, thinking John's mind is, let's not go into the spider web to, and get yeah. tapped. And I'm saying, then why are you walking into the spider web of Maheta's uh, giant hooks that he's landed in round five? Man. I mean, yeah. we, we can armchair quarterback. We're not in there, all right? This yeah. is the greatest of all time, by the way, that we're picking apart here. Yep. But tell me this. Did it look like John was playing with his food in round five? Yes. And did it look like he was allowing a wounded animal, a dangerous wounded animal, who you have to give credit to Santos's heart for hanging in there with the leg injury and trying to win that fight all five rounds, 
I think John was trying almost for the creative knockout moment too hard, and he was allowing himself to stay in the strike zone rather than just kind of playing his strengths and getting that guy out of there. I will say this. From my vantage point, I gave Jones four rounds. Four out of five. I gave Santos the first. I thought Santos clearly looked better in the first round by just, you know, going forward and actually pressing John and making him defend in weird ways. big left hands in that first round. But I will also say this, as you mentioned before, I really think John Jones has come full circle, and he is now Floyd Mayweather of MMA. Outside of the Gustafson fight in, in December and the DC knockout that got overturned, obviously, Jones hasn't finished people since Chael Sonnen in 2013, man. That okay, that's that's that just snuck up on me. He's, a, he's a defensive fighter. At this that point. it's it snuck up on me almost in a Manny Pacquiao way. I remember when Manny Pacquiao was blowing through everyone at the beginning of his welterweight run, and then there was that long cold winter of eight years where it's like, hey guys, check the check your watch. Uh, Manny hasn't knocked something out since like the Bill Clinton administration. You're like, what? What? John Jones hasn't stopped a guy since Chael Sonnen. Okay. Now he's fighting all killers, though. He, you can give okay, him that. He did, but he did stop Gustafson in December. We need to point that out. Oh yeah, then you're wrong. Then you're straight no, up wrong. I said outside of Gustafson you did, in you December. Did say that. You did say and that. And the DC re- result that got overturned. The last stoppage before that was Chael Sonnen in 2013. I think that he is just getting to the point where why take the risk when I know how I can outpoint people and land stronger right. and cleaner? Because I, there, here's the one stat that we didn't touch yet. Tiago out out threw him, but he only landed twenty six percent of significant strikes. John Jones landed sixty six percent. That's so efficient and brilliant. So I would support what you're saying. You're the the, re, the reason you're giving was essentially John's same excuse in the cage of this guy's so dangerous. Why am I going to take him down and take a chance when I thought I was winning the fight? So there's a little bit of arrogance in there. Arrogance slash the, the intersection of arrogance and ignorance. That, that the street corners look the same sometimes. All right. There's a little bit of arrogance in there that that says, "Well, I'm leading, so who cares?" I would support your and John's claim more. Had he finished the fight with two rounds of teak kicks and distance, but again, fifth round, he's walking into Santos's strike zone, and I think John Jones was at this point where. He was trying too hard to get the perfect finish, and he was fine with anything but that. Like if, if, he could, if he couldn't get that perfect finish, he was fine with just letting it finish the way it did. And I thought he lost that round cleanly. Oddly enough, though, the judge who scored it for Santos did score the fifth round for Jones. I don't understand how that <laughs> happened. Yeah, I, I thought Tiago had a had a really good fifth round in which he tried to eighty went for it. He landed some big shots early. Weird fight. Jones in the end, it's, it's, I don't think we're going to harp on this for years to come. I think this is a survive in advance for Jones. And he's padding the resume. I've been banging on the drum for months that it's like, dude, go to heavyweight. It would make business sense. It would make everything sense. We talked to him on Friday after the weigh-in. He said the move to heavyweight is inevitable, but there's no timetable. There's no reason to go now. I have plenty of business to attend to first at 205, a comment that Dana ultimately echoed. What are they talking about here, Brosef? Was that a hidden, hey, if Luke Rockhold happens to win and look good, there's a sexy one we can cash in? Or do they really look at the idea of a, of a Johnny Walker weirdo, a Dominic Reyes, as we can milk this for a little while longer? So Dana White said at the press conference that he thought Jones won very cleanly, which was interesting given the way that you scored the fight and that a lot of people who were ringside scored the fight. I just saw somebody on Twitter, I can't find it right now, but hinting at hinting at the fact that 
they might have something big in the, in the works for Jones. Why? Like, why? Because Joe, Dana downplayed the idea of a rematch at, at any kind of cost, you know? So, what could they have in store for Jones that they think could be big money here? Could it be that move to heavyweight finally? Do you think they finally have convinced him? Because the salaries came out right before the fight started. $500,000 guaranteed for Jones seems like get. pennies. I mean, obviously, he's he's not making $500,000. We know that we're trained to know by now that the, the pay-per-view stars of this sport are getting a couple million extra than you see. In some cases, they're getting more than a couple million extra. But I don't even get how they can get a, how they would want that to be a narrative that Jones only makes five hundred thousand for this fight. How would this company, which sold for four billion and has this massive ESPN deal, want that to be known? It's just it's bizarre to me. But the idea of what could be next and is there a big one and could it be heavyweight? I kind of feel like they need to wait and see what happens August seventeenth, UFC two forty one, the DC Stevie Miocic rematch. Because Brandon, think about it like this: if Miocic wins in a close and competitive fun fight. Or even if he knocks him out, you can do a trilogy if you want to. So you get another business day out of that. Or if DC wins, hey, John Jones, get your ish together. <laughs> and maybe you finally make that at heavyweight. And that's Jones's entrance to heavyweight. You give Jones, who, by the way, is the GOAT, you finally give him a chance to win his second belt. Maybe that's where we're going. I think that's the dream scenario for UFC. Is for DC to put him, put Stipe out, and then put them in there for the trilogy fight as DC's quote unquote last fight as he continues to delay now his uh, inevitable retirement as he's making jokes. Well, you heard him. You heard him. He, has, he got the back surgery now, so he's so he's uh, he's reborn after he was made fun of for throwing his back out by sneezing by uh, Max Holloway. But my dream scenario goes a little bit more like they do DC Stipe two now. Stipe wins. And then we get John Jones, Francis Ngannou. That's what I want to see. I want to see Jones against another powerful striker like Francis Ngannou. And even though it's a huge risk because if Francis knocks him out, what the hell do you do with John, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I love- think I just think that fight sells a lot of pay-per-view it, bucks. Okay, it would. It's an insanely sexy and amazing matchup. But if you're not going to have a title on the line, there's no way John would accept that. There's no way That's that would true. make business sense. So... What you say if you're UFC, it's interesting. If Stipe wins and DC doesn't want to come back, then you do Stipe and Gano too for the heavyweight title. Yeah. You let John Tinker at light heavyweight play in the pool a little bit more. Maybe take a break, whatever he wants to do. There's some scenarios in which you could wait and keep John at 205. I just don't get why John is – there's a lot of mixed messages coming from John about heavyweight. That's what I don't understand. Yep. I get it. And he also is, by the way, at the post-fight press conference now, he came in in a wheelchair. They were both wheeled out of the arena. But he says nothing's broken. Everything's just swollen. So yeah, he could, so, in theory, be back by December. I saw time. John, uh, again, I had, you know, again, let me just talk about it. I had great seats, by the way. Um, uh, <laughs> I, know, I had great press row seats. Um, I saw John um, take a really hard kick to the leg in round five. And then I saw him attempt a kick that got checked. And it looked like he was about to limp really bad. And what he did was he skipped up and down in the air really quick, to, almost to make it look like I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, nothing, nothing to see here. John has a, an incredible way of masking pain, by the way. Like the, the great ones do to, to not show that they're hurt. Floyd Mayweather, we're making these comparisons. Floyd was the best after getting rocked at making it look like he's completely fine. So I think that's what happened. John was carried out, by the way, past press row after the fight. 
uh, one of his brothers, one of his ex-giant NFL brothers who we saw in person this week, uh, Chandler or Arthur, I couldn't tell which one helped him out, but, um, survive in advance. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the, the final saying on that. The only thing about Tiago Santos is I'm going to give the guy a lot of respect. All right. Had one seven of eight coming in in two years. I wasn't that high on him. Yes. I'd seen the finishes. I thought he was a, a full step lower, Brandon. I think John Jones thought he was a full step lower coming in. I think a lot of people either hadn't even heard of Tiago Santos or thought he was maybe Tiago Alves. I mean, you know how like, you know, casual fans can be. Yet we know him now. I think there's a moral victory in here for Mareta. And did you hear his badass theme song that he walked into? Yes. That thing was in my head. Is that a real song? Yes. By who? You you love the hip you love the hip young music these days. You think I'm in the Portuguese uh, hip hop scene, bro? I don't know, bro. I've been in your car. You're you're, in a, you're you drive an American muscle car, and you're playing, you know, sounds of South Florida in there. I'll know? just say this: John is saying that Tiago is the most powerful guy he's ever fought, and that when he gets when Tiago gets back to Brazil, people need to give him a parade or something. So some wow. strong comments from John. You almost gave him the world title just to let <laughs> you know that. And again, armchair quarterbacking a lot. We're not taking those strikes. John did. Wow, brother. All right, let's get into the mayhem of this card. Amanda Nunez defended that Bantamweight title with a head kick from hell against a Holly Holm who I think Brandon rightfully so. We talked her up a lot this week in podcasts and interviews in previews and all this stuff saying there's a potential upset there. She's as tough as it comes. She could take this fight the distance. Blah, blah, blah. A lot of people talking about this Albuquerque parlay, <laughs> by the way, that did not p- play out there, especially not for Diego Sanchez, by the way. But uh, uh, Albuquerque in hell after this. Anyway, enough talk about Holly Holm. Amanda Nunez was the GOAT coming in. If, and if you didn't think so, brother, then this was the last remaining former champion sexy name that she had a chance to beat. She did not just beat Holly Holm. She absolutely destroyed her. Head kick knockout with the added insult. Of defeating Holm with the move that Holm does best. And afterwards, Amanda saying that was calculated. Her and Brazilian Shrek, you know, your boy. Uh, wow. What? I can't believe you actually used that on the podcast. Love that guy. Love Conan. <laughs> Love oh Conan Silviera. That's that's my guy right there, all right? Uh, her and Conan and, and the other, you know, the rest at ATT, it was something they had game plan for. They wanted to finish it this way. Dude. Dude. Nunez is sick. Nunez is sick. She gets better every single fight. Just think about it. Just think about it. She beat Misha Tate with a rear naked choke. After breaking her nose, by the way. After breaking her nose, but using the tools that Misha Tate uses best, which is a submission. She then, she knocks out Ronda Rousey, but whatever. Knocks out Chris Cyborg after Cyborg is the one pushing the pressure and trying to be the one, the over... Don't forget go, goes five with Shevchenko at a time where we, where we were still questioning Nunez's gas tank. That doesn't fit my narrative here. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, she uses the things that people are supposed to use as strengths and finishes them with them. Just think about that for a minute. And Nunez even said in the post-fight press conference just now, she was really confused that Holly didn't move much. And I now I'm thinking about it, I'm like... Yeah, why didn't she do that? Because her game plan is always to circle and circle and look for those openings for her kicks and everything. But she stood right in front of Amanda. I don't know if she, I mean, did she? I I mean, I was watching close by. I saw the typical amount of movement from Holly. No. What I saw was Holly, though, tried to gain respect early and really wasn't able to land anything of significance. 
And Holly talked a couple right hands early, and I thought she took them well. I saw the look in her face that was like, oh, oh, okay. But it wasn't danger. It wasn't, this is fight's over. I'm Holly Holm. I've got a tough chin, and I'm tough as balls. But those right hands kept adding up, and they were accurate, and they were heavy and hard. And then she finally made that face that all of, let's say, in boxing, Gennady Golovkin's opponents make the first time they get hit, and they go, oh, that power's different. I think that whatever movement she had coming in, man, those right hands were just keeping her still. I mean, they were just really, really, really breaking her down. The redness on her face. She was bewildered quick. This was not a competitive fight for as long as it lasted. Would it last three, four minutes? Four minutes. But I'm just saying, normally you see Holly get on her bike, you know? Like, she, if she feels pressure like that, she'll back off, you know? She'll gather herself and try to regroup and go back with something different. She didn't do that tonight. And I think what you're saying there is There was a true. slow start. There was there was distance. First two minutes, it was a... There was some pawing from distance, but, dude, Amanda, Amanda cut cut the distance. Yes. I think that's the biggest key here, is that Amanda didn't allow her to do that. She kept her at in the center. She didn't let her get out in distance and try to keep her, her space. She forced her to fight Amanda's fight. And when she opened her up, I mean, you said it to start this, but I really got 2015 flashbacks because of the way that... Holmes' head went down and then into the into the shin on the kick. It was almost icon- identical to the Rousey knockout. It's insane. Uh, the only difference was the you know she caught Ra- Holm caught Rousey uh, with a kick she didn't see coming because she had been spun around and she got rocked by a punch. This was almost straight on right at you, and it wasn't a lucky shot. She systematically dismantled her with right hands, put her in the position she wanted, and then finished her. And by the way, Holm does deserve this respect. She's tough as nails. Not only has she never been knocked out, I kept saying she'd never been finished. She obviously had been finished. Uh, Misha Tate submitted her. But she like won moral victory points because, remember, Holm refused to tap out, got passed out, and then in her sleep was throwing punches while being choked out. And even in this fight, vicious kick to the face, then Amanda scores three punches, and then Holm pops up. She's trying to fight. Referee waves it off. Home falls backward into the cage. Referee's got to catch her. I mean, that chick is tough. But again, enough talking about Holly Holm. Amanda Nunez, the way she's able to combine power with speed and accuracy, she's found the perfect formula. She's she's found the perfection in the recipe. There's, I don't know how you're going to beat her. I mean, you know, you're going to have to have a ground specialist. You're going to have to have something. I mean, sure, I still think a slugger like a cyborg could catch her, could beat her. But I don't, the problem here is same narrative we had coming in. She's 31. She's in her prime. She's insanely great. For some reason, Dana White's allowing her to hold two titles, whereas Daniel Cormier, Conor McGregor kind of you know made him choose and stripped him. She says she wants to defend the title at 45. I think she would join DC as the only people to defend titles in two divisions. But let's be honest right now, Brandon. Outside of Shevchenko moving back up and we do a trilogy – what the hell else is there? Dana hinted that the press conference that Cyborg is probably going to be next if he's able to get a new deal done with Cyborg after her fight against Felicia Spencer, if, obviously, Cyborg wins that fight. But I don't know, man. I, I, I don't really agree that a ground specialist could do anything because I think that girl is not going to let you get, somebody, get her on the ground. She's too damn tough and stubborn to let somebody get a takedown on her. And... Oh, and she's also a black belt in Brazilian right. Jiu-Jitsu on top of that. And she has some of the best black belt uh, Jiu-Jitsu coaches in the game at ATT. So, Who, like Conan? <laughs> so, 
I just don't know, man. I I think that it's interesting to hear Dana say that she's the GOAT, she's the greatest of all time, but somebody's going to get her at some point. Somebody, because they because age gets the best of us all. It's harder to do that in the women's game, though, because there's not as much power. power you know, fighter for fighter, there's not as much power. Yep. And, you know, Holly Holm had a systematic breakdown to, to, to dismantle a Ronda Rousey who, in the end, was completely one dimensional. We almost, and at times we overlooked that in her dominant run. Yep. Yes. Anyone can lose at any time in any circumstance, but right now it's really hard not to just go, Brandon, she's getting better every fight. She's getting significantly better every fight. So here, like we do podcasts and I had this talk with Rashad Evans on CBS Sports HQ after the fight. We always have to come up with the, the total, what's the craziest narrative we can come up with next to try to, but here it is. You ready for this crazy narrative and hard question? At what point does Amanda Nunez become in that conversation for greatest fighter of all time, regardless of gender? It's cute that she's the goat of the women. I mean, you can sit here and say, even though she's beat a murderous row of women name fighters, that pound for pound her competition level is not anywhere near what John Jones beat. You can make that case. John Jones consistently had to fight tougher dangerous, well-rounded former champions in a row. But is Amanda Nunez skewing toward that direction where we're going to have a regardless of gender conversation and we're going to say, okay, John Jones is in the upper throne, but that one right below it where GSP sits, where Andy Silva sits, where sometimes they let Fedor sit, DC, we used to say Mighty Mouse. I don't think we say it anymore because he wrestles, he fights in Singapore. But uh, are we going to let Amanda Nunez into that club? I think that just because the weight difference is real and that the depth of the classes is real, that it's going to be really hard to make the argument for her to be better than Jones. Just because just physically being bigger at 205 pounds is more dangerous as a fighter because there's people with more power that can carry over in that weight class. That I think John is going to always be better no matter how, like, goat-tastic these things get. Um, <laughs> because, I mean, even, even so, like, Amanda at 135 and 145, it's not a high division, you know? Like, we're starting to see the PFL now with a 155 division, and we have no idea. We don't even know what that's going to be in the next five years, you know? Like, that could have another level of power that we haven't even seen yet in MMA. So, I agree that she is the greatest at this time. Of, of what we have to look at, she is the GOAT. And it translates across all the divisions in the women's in the women's game right now, but John Jones to me still just because of what I laid out is better. All right, let's say Kayla Harrison um, continues to shine with PFL in this new made up division of 155. Um, does PFL's contract with ESPN make them a in some weird way a quasi feeder league for the UFC that you could make a super fight? They won't make that fight. They're teammates. Oh, forgot about that ATT thing. Wow. All right. I'm sorry. I just shot that. They they made that Nunez Pennington fight, even though they hang out in the same social circle. Do they still, by the way? I, we, you and I had breakfast the other day with, uh, Tisha Torres and, uh, I didn't see Rocky. Okay. But Tisha and Rocky are still together. What are you trying to say, bro? Are they? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. We're going down that road. I'm just saying, I don't know. I haven't seen a lot of pictures lately of them together. Okay, we saw Nina and Tiny Tornado hanging out. We saw pictures that Tisha was posting all weekend of her hanging out with the goat. And yep. okay, I'm just I'm just 
putting out the facts I've been All saying. All right. So. Uh, before we finish breaking down UFC 239, you and I had um, some fun moments this weekend in Las Vegas running into real-life fighters on the scene. Your adult-grown son, Peter Yan, we caught him on the casino floor of the New York, New York, and I took an epic, epic photo. Of you with your arm around him. By the way, you look like Wilt Chamberlain in that photo, and he <laughs> and he looked like a bald referee. I mean, that what the heck happened there? He was wearing some badass nightclub shirt, and he wanted nothing to do with us. Yep, because he thought you were just some drunken fan, just pointing and laughing. At See, him. that's the thing, man. You know, I have a, a a a piece of a slice of the pie in the fame pool in the fight game, but not for real. I'm a you know a Z list celebrity, so. After hours, we can have a few pops and walk the casino floor, and we can be just like one of us, right? We can be like those fans. So when we walk by Aljo in the private couch area hanging out, right, saying goodbye to Brotega, right? By the way, did I drop the ball not asking Brian Ortega if he smashed Halle Berry for the record? Did I drop the ball? This is an after-hours podcast if I've ever heard one. All right. Well, I told Aljo, bro. Get that belt. I gave him the discount double check. He said, I'm trying, brother. We had, we had a little moment there, right? I told him Peter Jan ain't the real. I don't know if I told you this. I told him Peter Jan ain't the real. He goes, I know. I know. It's all right. Are you Team Aljo now? Or is this what you're trying to tell me? We had a moment. We connected soul to soul. All right. Back to this breakdown here of UFC 239. What a night for ATT. What a night for Bizarre-ish because we were so excited coming in about that welterweight fight. Jorge Masvidal, Ben Askren. It was, quote-unquote, the the Ariel Hawani main event. No, the people's main event. It was the fight that... <laughs> by the way, shout-out to Ariel Hawani, who did come up to me chest-to-chest chest and say, I heard you've been talking ish about me. What are you going to say now? You know, That's my guy right and there. Then, but, and uh, then what did you do? I said, I'm only gonna, I won't say anything to your face. I'll only say it to you on my, po- on my podcast, of course. But um, that was the fight we wanted to see. Great trash talk leading in. I was trying to tell you all week that my lock of the week... Was that Askren's going to make this a boring three-round fight? And he's going to lay on him and he's going to win because that wrestling's too much. Bro, we never had a chance to even sniff that happening. This happened so fast that me sitting five feet away at cage side had my head down fighting Wi-Fi. The struggle was real, fighting Wi-Fi struggles, trying to get you the Luke Rockhold, Jan Bwawicic recap. And I missed, but I heard it. Believe me, I heard it. The fastest knockout in UFC history. Five seconds, Masvidal runs across the cage. Hands behind the back, by the way. Leaping right knee as Askren shoots in. There's a lot of things we can say about this. The first word I'll say is scary. All right, bro? That was the Ben Askren was down the longest I've ever seen a UFC fighter down. Uh, after they revived him, he was unable to walk on his own power. They carried him right past me at press row. He was in bad shape. That's a vicious-ass knockout. Dana White said post in post fight press conference, by the way, that the test came back negative. That he is okay as much as you can be after being okay. When they come, like when the that. tests come back negative, is that, that just means he's not dead. Like, not, I mean, like all jokes aside, serious, yeah. right? Like, you're gonna you can't tell me he didn't have a concussion. I mean, the guy, the guy. Yeah. I mean, that says wow. He didn't, but he didn't suffer like like a uh, Tia, not Tiago Santos, um, Cyborg's old husband. Remember when he his skull cracked? Yes, it's, yes, it wasn't anything like that. So at least we have. That you know, I'll tell you what though. You made a passing comment to me that like that's a career altering type knockout blow, and obviously we're wishing for the best for Askren's health. We want to see him back in there. We want to see him resume his career. But the first thing I thought of was that's a career altering knockout. Like that could be the end of the run for Ben Askren, especially for a guy who was retired. 
We, people forget that dude said, I don't need this anymore after fighting in one championship for a while. Until they came knocking for him in a trade with Demetrius Johnson, he was done. He was happy, enjoying life with his kids, who, by the way, that shark, that baby shark video before, yes. that was actually really funny. Find that on the internet if you haven't seen it. And yes, the first 30 seconds, it's it, it's weird, it's cringeworthy, it's lame. And I'm like, why is Ben Askren doing this? And then it got brilliant. And I was like, shout out to Ben Askren and his family, your, your rule here. Um, we use scary. We hate the scary part. Now let's get this other part. We're in the meme culture. We're in the trash talk culture. We're in the... You can't get in a fight at school without five of your classmates recording on YouTube. I think that this fi- this knockout, given the quickness, given the oh crap nature, given the fact that there was such trash talk coming in, it might be the greatest middle finger moment in 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 MMA or sports history, bro. And it's not just the way in which Masvidal did it, but it's that next level celebration afterwards. The getting on his hands and knees and pounding on the canvas. And then doing mock falls and pointing at him. Um, I'm not going to ask you, did that go too far? It went past, wherever too far is, it got on a train from that moment and went even further. What, what, how do you sum that? I mean, that, that's the greatest, like, troll moment ever. I mean, the, (laughs) he did a soccer celebration. Like, if we're being honest about it, he did what in FIFA video games is called the dead fish, where he started doing the rolling on the floor, like acting like a guy that was just set, meant made to be stiff as a board. Like, I, I'm sorry, man. I don't care what anybody says. That was amazing. And you know what? Like, for everything that happened between those two guys for the last three months, he deserved to be able to celebrate like that. I don't care. You can say whatever you want about him being an asshole about it. But was the trash talk a little one-sided? We had Masvidal on this show saying he wanted to end Askren's bloodline. <laughs> there would be no more Askrens. And we, what? and I, you know, in our podcast people listen to that we put out this week, I asked Askren about that. He's like, that's so ridiculous. I can't believe CBS would be allowed to, to put that in print. It was a little one-sided, right? Did Ben Askren actually also, do anything but wrong? But you also have to listen to, to Jorge's side, though. Like, Ben does a lot of talking online. And... When he gave him the opportunity to talk to him in person, Ben walked away. And it's like, okay, man. like Okay, but, did, but I don't know why I'm suddenly defending Ben. I'm not a Ben super <laughs> fan here. But I did watch that video after hearing them talk about it. I just want to does, – does, well, Jorge is the realest fighter in all of UFC. Ben's not going to get into a fist fight two days before the fight. In a, in a, Ben's got the dad bod. He's wearing flip-flops. I mean, come on. But, wow. Masvidal said, by the way, that Dana told him – when he got into the ring after the fight, that he told him to be nice to Ben. And yeah, that went out the window really quick. <laughs> well, it was weird because initially, um, Masvidal thanked everyone from God to every coach at ATT, all his old training partners at ATT. And it was this very humble moment. He even said, like my mom said, I'm not going to say anything bad about Ben because I got nothing to say at all, blah, blah, blah. And then like two seconds later, he's like, this guy's a bum and, and I would have loved to beat him up for four minutes and 30 seconds, but I only got five seconds out of it. So. And he also said this wasn't personal because if it was personal, I would have been at his door waiting for him to come outside. So, yeah. So this mofo is for real, by the way. And that's two dominant knockout wins when you package that with Darren Till. He calls for a title shot. Dana White not willing to commit. Obviously, we've got the Colby Covington-Robbie Lawler fight on August 3rd. Dana no longer wanting to back himself in a corner by publicly announcing something that he may want to renege on later. I guess I can respect that. But, dude, separate to the scariness of Askren's health, from a moment 
in UFC history standpoint, like we're never going to forget this. This this is as iconic as it gets. Not championship level iconic, but in the bizarre sort of category, this is a major moment. Dana said it was the, his biggest moment he's seen in the years that he's been seeing watching the sport. That was the biggest moment in terms of like shock value, all that stuff. Yeah, I I don't know what else you could put up there with that. Like, there's some craziness, like upsets, but to see a fight that had that kind of build up to it, where we didn't really know what to expect from Ben. Like, he got that takedown and he got the choke against Robbie Lawler, and that was fun, and that's what he does, and people, some people enjoy that. But for Jorge to do what was considered his complete game plan coming in, which we did talk about, by the way, on the preview that. Rashad Evans, again, he told us, when you're fighting a wrestler, you drill knees, and you drill flying knees. <laughs> what else is there to say, yeah, man? Yeah, and, and Jorge said after the fight that was something that they were... Or no, I saw on... Uh, Dustin, um, Dustin Poirier tweeted that he went out to dinner or lunch with Mike Brown, one of the coaches at ATT. MTB, our guy with the big beard. He showed him the video of them practicing it, and Mike Brown told him, yeah, this is going to, he's going to use this. He's going to, he doesn't know if he's going to start with it, but he's going to use this tonight at some point. Oh, we got to get Mike Brown on this podcast for two reasons. I love when Boogie Woman, Joanna calls him Mikey Brown. And two, um, I was the biggest Uri Faber fan ever in WEC. Like a lot of people, he was sort of that, that face, the reason that got people into the smaller weight classes. And then Mike Brown was the ultimate spoiler, beating him twice. It was sort of like, you know, wow. And then kind of his career ending earlier than I thought it would have. But, um, Wow, dude. Um, from grudge matches, from, from the consideration of a grudge match, this is the ultimate FU. I mean, this is like, I mean, the only thing different would have been if he ran across and landed a punch. That would have been the only way to probably do that a little bit better, but that's pretty damn insane. So here's the problem now, as you mentioned before with Dana not committing to a title fight now. What happens if Colby wins in a few weeks? <laughs> Because Jorge and Colby are teammates, and they've kind of said that they're not fighting each other. What do you do for, for Kamaru? Because I, I have no, I have no idea. I got nothing. Yeah, they got issues right there. If, especially if Kamaru is going to be out longer than they want him to. You're right. This is going to be interesting, and and Colby still or isn't was maybe tomorrow the interim champion. <laughs> Nobody really knows what that means anymore. He's the MAGA champion. Wow. All right. That was friggin' insane. You know what else was friggin' insane? The, the the fight that led into that moment. And that was Luke Rockhold making his 205-pound debut, wearing like a Kobe Bryant shooting sleeve on his left leg, and then getting sent to the deep, dark depths, the triple Ds, by my new bro, Jan Give me a second here. Let me regroup. Jan. We used to just call him Jan Blachowicz, right? That's like the most American way. Like, it's not Chardet, it's Sade, right? Jan Blachowicz. Oh, oh look oh, at you. Yeah. That needs a, that needs a drop. Uh, I had a great uh, chat with him. You can listen to it. You can watch it on YouTube. He won me over in that chat. You want to know why? Because everything he said about Luke Rockhold was right. Luke Rockhold's arrogant. He goes, he's a bad man. He's a, he's a, he's a jerk. He drink the fruity drink. And, you know, he's like going on and on about that. Um, there was actually some bad blood there. You saw during the stare downs this week, you saw a lot of that. Luke Rockhold looked amazing physically at 205 pounds. Look, he's a good looking guy. He's a male model. He looked aggressive early when he ran across. But you know what he did in the end? He did Luke Rockhold things. And that's come in there too arrogant and leave yourself open to giant power shots. And it's almost, it's weird, Brandon. 
This guy has almost every tool to be amazing. And there were moments in this first round where I said to myself, is he going to be better at 205 than he actually was at middleweight? Like his body looks different. He's aggressive. He's got power. He's got kicks. I don't want to say he doesn't have a chin because, by the way, he got rocked and finished with a left hook from hell that anyone's getting knocked out with. I think he's missing some kind of sense. Not just because he no sold my DM question in that interview, which now needs to be a drop. Or maybe actually can't be a drop because you just can't see his face in that moment when he's basically like, dude, get out of my face. But, um, I mean, Brandon, that arrogance is real. He seems to just get in himself into the wrong part of town at the wrong moment. I don't understand it. I really don't, man. Like, like you just said, he looked fine. To start that fight, he was fine. He was fighting his game. He was aggressive. He landed he, some big shots. He was kicking well. He wasn't staying in the pocket. He wasn't letting John get close with those punches or, or a takedown attempt. He was he, he he took him into the cage. That's the Luke Rockhold that was a strike force champion, right? Like that's the guy who won a middleweight title was with his submission game and with his ground and wrestling. With his kicks, bro. And I don't know what it is. Is it a mental block? Is it like I just don't understand what to do with my hands. Like, it doesn't make sense that you just never put your hands up. Like, it, I feel like that's a normal thing for a coach to tell you. Hey, Luke, when he's going to throw a punch, you cover up. And every time, man, and at the end of the first round, I tweeted it. I was like, one day, Luke, one day you'll learn to put your hands up. And then, of course, in the second round, hand down, straight jet or straight cross to the face. Good night. Like, it's crazy. And he broke his jaw, by the way. And then you sent me the uh, the the transcript of uh, Dana White in the post-fight press conference basically saying, Luke needs to retire. This is it. And that's an interesting point. He's 34 years old. He obviously has opportunities outside the cage as much as we, you know, we make male, male model jokes. I mean, he's got the, the skills in that area. But I, it would be weird to see him walk away because there's so much damn talent there. But there's a block. You know what the equivalent? It's a weird comparison to make. But everybody's got that like friend in their friend circle who's like insanely good looking. Yet the dude's destined to be a bachelor the rest of his life, and and can get any girl he wants. And you're like, what's the thing he's missing that he can't just settle down and make it happen? He's the fighting equivalent of that Luke Rockhold. There's just something he's missing that he can't. There's a blinder on that he can't just figure it out. Maybe it's it's leaving his hands down in the big moment. But that was a fight he should have won. I really think, even though Jan Jan Blahowicz is a very hard puncher, a very tough out. But this is the kind of fight Luke Rockhold should have won. And tell me if I'm crazy here. Luke Rockhold wins a decision in this fight, and you go, all right, he looked pretty good, man. And he's muscular, and he's hitting hard. He's getting John Jones next. I guarantee you he would have gotten John Jones next. It's easy to say that because that division is so thin. But yes, I guarantee you he would have gotten John Jones next. He just lost it all in that fight. A few things. One, I want to just remind people that Blachowicz was probably a Tiago Santos decision win away from getting that title shot tonight against John Jones. Just by the way, they fought in February. You could have made the argument that Blachowicz, yeah, who was, was on a winning streak, yeah, he would have, that would have been his fifth win in a row if he beat Santos in that fight. Just so you, so we remember that. Two, Rockle, the modeling thing. I know it's like a side gig where he makes a lot of money for. But it's got to be a distraction, right? Like, I, I don't want to to hypothesize or that. Or fuel, it fuels the arrogance, brother. You know? it's But it's that and it's like you're not in the gym as often because you're traveling for modeling. You're not you, – you don't have as much time to dedicate to being in the gym with all of the training that you need even though Rashad tells us that he's been looking great in the gym. 
I don't know, man. I I think that we also need to note, by the way, we're, we're talking about the Luke Rockhold potential retirement stuff that Dana said that we didn't get to it before. He said the same thing about Holly. He said that he thinks that he, he wants to have a talk with Holly about what's next for her in her career because there's not a lot left for her to do, and she's 2-5 and five since beating Ronda Rousey. And she's 37. And 38, I think. Uh, or she's turning 38 yeah, soon. Yeah, she's turning 38 soon. Sorry, I was distracted by coming across the video of that uh, Habib Nurmagomedov and Nate Diaz uh, <laughs> altercation in the crowd when their two groups of teams had to be separated and the crowd went wild. Um you know, it's weird. I spent the whole buildup telling you that she's a young 37 and she's improving all the time. And I, I, I agree with that statement. She only loses to the very super elite. But the thing is, what do you want to become though? A, a, a journey woman for the, you know what I mean? Do where you want to be a Gilbert Melendez? Where you're only going to, you're going to always lose to the super elite. So you're just going to keep fighting the next in line. I kind of agree with that where this is the first fight that we saw her stop like this, this kind of damage. So. With Amanda holding both belts, it's not like, okay, I can move back up to 45, get in line, win a couple fights over the Megan Anderson level fighters, and yeah, it might be time. I'm wondering if they're with, um, with women's boxing having a bit of an uptick. It's not entering the category that, that women's MMA has, has, has been in thanks to Rousey and is today, but there's actually names we kind of know. The, the Clarissa Shields, the, the, uh, what's the Irish chick's name? Katie Taylor. Katie Taylor. Um, can Holly fight someone of note? Uh, what's the weight divisions? In so Clarissa Shields has titles at 60 and 68, and she's moving down to 154 oh my Lord, no. to fight for a title. No, We've that's... seen Holly fight at 35 and 45. She's held titles in boxing in three divisions. I think that's bad news for Holly. Yeah. I'm, I've no, heard nothing of this. I'm trying to get creative and wondering if there's... Yeah, you know, I, I just don't think Holly moving up to like a 155 or 160 that I don't think that's going to work out. I think that's setting up for more brain damage, honestly. Well, bro, take take a take a chill pill, okay? Take a chill pill there. We don't need to say that out loud. We know it's wow. in the air. Says the guy who got mad at me for the way I talked about the Askren injury. Yeah, it's um <laughs> it's it's been a long night, all right? <laughs> um um Rockhold sent to hell moving forward. Michael Chiesa looked fantastic against Diego Sanchez. That's about as dominant a victory as you will ever see in any fight of just one person ragdolling the other. Kevin Ioli of Yahoo Sports was next to me. There was a point midway through the third round where he was looking at some metrics that Chiesa had landed 96% of his strikes. <laughs> how, is that, how is that possible? I don't know, but wow. I mean, and just, by the way, that was to finish on Dana's uh, – um, Retirement talk, he said the same thing about Diego as well. He he said, I love those tough the Ultimate Fighter 1 guys. I will do anything for those guys, but at some point, it's time. time gets the best of all of us. His his wins over the guys like Mickey Gall are actually bad things because it, yep. it gets you sent to hell. You know, luckily, I mean, he didn't get knocked out here, but he did take damage. He did get ragdolled. He basically, basically, Diego got cheered for fighting out of submissions. Those were his victories time. Right. And getting back to his feet. Like, which was funny because as soon as he got to his feet, Kiss was like, oh, that's nice. I'm going to just throw you to the other side of the cage now and just wrestle you from here. So 2-0 and at welterweight since moving up. He says he feels great. You could argue he's fighting the husk of Diego Sanchez and the husk of Carlos Condit. I'm not ready to tell you he's a title contender, but Kiesa's looks reborn. Sounds reborn when you talk to him. He's always a great quote. I hope for the best for them. I hope he can find out how great he can be in this division. I don't know if he ever gets there. 
but he's going to be a tough out for anybody. Great motor, not held down anymore by that hard cut. I'd love to see it, but I'd also like to see him against somebody who can throw a hard punch. Like no, no disrespect to Diego Sanchez or Carlos Condon, but at this point in their careers, they're not they're not going to test Kiesa's chin. You know, I want to see him against one of these young and hungry lions. I like to see him against, even though it does it's not a fight that makes sense. Him against the Colby Covington, two guys with motors who could do things on the ground, separate things on the ground. That'd be an interesting fight for me. Maybe not for you. Uh, quickly through the rest of this card, I wanted to say who jumped out to you. I'm going to steal it. The Donger man, Ya Dong Song. And if you're not woke on this Bantamweight prospect, 21 years old. 5-0 in the UFC from China. Mr. Faber, Uriah Faber, was on this podcast this week. And off camera, he told us that at the Chinese Performance Institute that UFC just opened up, there's a floor-to-ceiling banner of John Jones, and there's the same one of Ya Dong Song. Brandon, his counter right-hand one-punch KO of Alejandro Perez was beauty and perfection. And if you're trying to make a star in this new market... Could you do worse than a 21-year-old with charisma who comes out to kung fu fighting? Are you kidding me? God, that was so funny. It was so great. Like, we've been making all these jokes, like, all week. Like, it's become comedy, but I need this guy to be good, man. Like, th- this kind of athlete in China, like you said, is that's the kind of guy. Like, that's the Cain Velasquez type in Mexico that, that the UFC always hoped to get and to hope to turn into a champion one day. And... If they can get this guy a couple more fights that make him look really impressive, who knows, man? Like, Bantamweight's pretty open right now. We know we've been talking about our my boy Peter Yan and Al and Aljamain Sterling all hanging around in there with, with the likes of like Jimmy Rivera still and Henry Cejudo. But John Lennon got cut, by the way. We never talked about that. Oh my god. Um But Song Yudong, like, he's gonna be a problem. He's five and zero now in UFC since since joining. Had a couple losses in China before. This was his USA US debut, first yep. time fighting outside of China. I, I'm interested, man. I'm going to be following this guy more closely now. This is the kind of performance that you need to say, "Hey, you need to take an eye out." We okay. had him on the podcast this week. Uh, you know, wasn't overly uh, charismatic to us through the translation, but you look at the big smile on his face. You look at coming out to the theme song. He looked like he could be very, very marketable. He looks like he's good. Yes, you have to pay attention to him now. Uh, Claudia Gadella, you know him, I love women's strawweights. Got a pretty honest win, three-round decision over Randa Marcos. Didn't look spectacular, but her comments afterwards were, hey, guys, I'm in my early 30s now. I'm trying to figure out how to become a complete mixed martial artist, not just a – one time she said brawler, a couple other times she said ground fighter. Not just a ground fighter, not just a wrestler – She's trying to actually become well-rounded, so she was trying new stuff on the fly. Is she on the second half of that slope, and it's never going to get any better? Or do you kind of applaud this? I I messaged you when that when she was saying that because I had no idea what she was talking about. Because I understand like transitioning to a new camp can be different. You're trying out new techniques, but like to be a new fighter, like you're. A f- two-time former title challenger who has been to the mountaintop a few times. She did hit the ceiling, though, lately. She was taking some L's. I mean, right. And and this was supposed to be the new Claudia, but I didn't see anything different. This looked like the same fighter to me that lost to uh, Nina Ansaroff a few months ago. Like, the only thing I saw different is she didn't go for any takedowns, and that used to be her game. She's looking to be a she, boxer. And she did the same thing against Nina. She wanted to just stand and trade. So... I, if this is really what she wants to do, that that might make more fun fights. But there didn't really seem to be any danger in this fight. 
Randa took a weird position most of the fight where she was crouching to actually yeah. prevent those takedowns crouching that were never there. Crouching Canadian, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I... Hopefully, she figures out whatever she needs to figure out, but I, I was thoroughly unimpressed with that fight. Would you be interested in a trilogy between the girl with the dragon tattoo and Boogie Woman? <laughs> Don't answer that. All right. Uh, that's, uh, that's pretty much wraps up UFC 239. If only we had an After Hours Patreon podcast, which you already called this to be right here, we would be able to tell the people, Brandon, about the conversation over drinks we had. With the Warlock on Friday night, Gareth A. Davis, British, MMA, uh, journalist, I think, extraordinaire, rock star. I think is the best way to put that. I really wish I could tell those stories. <laughs> wow, bro. People out there, you know who I'm talking about. My guy, the Warlock. He's all that and then some in person and more and more. Yes. Shout out, by the way, to Chito Vera. Edmund Shabazian and uh, Chance Rankintor, who all got surprised. Yes, Coach Edmund. Wins. Coach Edmund uh, yes. of Ronda Rousey fame is back, bro. Back with, with his prodigy right Who's there. Who's also 21. And is he one. Armenian like, like Edmund? No. I'm pretty sure he's American. With a name Edmund Shabazian? I, I'm not joking. Okay, no, yeah. No. He was he was born in, this, in Glendale. He is of Armenian origin. <laughs> Apparently Glendale, California is where all the Armenians in California live. So shout out there. Right, my old guy Ivana Smartarosian, the old the uh, the boxer, Coach Edmund is back. He looked very happy. I tried to get a selfie with him, but we, the timing didn't really work out. All right, I can't do that without him thinking I'm clowning him because ultimately I am clowning him. But come on, oh my god, head movement, bro. Right, I need a nap. <laughs> all right, that is the IA Instant Analysis Podness, Podcast UFC 239 in the books. Thank you so much for listening and following our work this week. From myself, from B Dubs, for Rashad Evans, the Hall of Famer, for our whole team, including our boy editor Jack Crosby. We love Jack Crosby. This is your boy BC signing off from Las Vegas, the city of sin, the den of horrors, the house of hardcore. I've got two words for you. We out.